Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Coming up on the program, the wait for vaccines. The opposition in Ottawa continues to press the government for more details on the vaccine rollout. We'll hear from our panel of MPs and from our journalists on the government's handling of the issue. With reports that the U.S. and China are negotiating a deal to free Chinese executive Meng Wanzhou being held in Canada for extradition, could that mean freedom for Canadians Michael Spaver and Michael Koverig being held in China? We'll ask Justice Minister David Lametti, who also talks about the government's legislation on medical assistance in dying and the rights of Indigenous people. But we start with the much-awaited arrival of successful COVID-19 vaccines in Canada. On Friday, speaking with reporters, Prime Minister Trudeau said Ottawa's distribution plans are ready to go as soon as the vaccines get Health Canada approval. The Canadian Armed Forces is already holding simulation tests of this distribution plan with a series of exercises and run-throughs. Freezers have been purchased and dry ice contracts for cold shipping are being put in place. When vaccines get authorized and shipped, we'll be ready. Well, joining me now are three MPs from the different parties. Adam Vancouverton is a parliamentary secretary and the Liberal MP for the Ontario riding of Milton. Garnet Genuis is a Conservative MP for the Alberta riding of Sherwood Park, Fort Saskatchewan. And Jenny Kwan is a NDP deputy health critic and MP for Vancouver East. All three of you, thanks for joining us. It's quite great to be with you today. Okay, let's start with the opposition motion, which was debated all day yesterday. It's a motion from the Conservatives calling on the government to issue a report by Wednesday, December the 16th. In that report, there would be timelines for the arrival of vaccines in Canada, dates for their distribution, vaccine uh, vaccination schedules, and criteria for the government uh, to determine who gets the first limited number of doses. Adam Vancouverton, can your government and will your government provide such a report? Absolutely. We have a plan and we've been working very, very closely with stakeholders across the country, including provinces and the uh, and the armed forces. So not only do we have a plan, but we are ensuring that it's well rehearsed and seamless. Um, we're working closely as well with international bodies and with the producers of these vaccines. And uh, yes, we're more than happy to provide uh, all pertinent information as we have been. I should say there have been briefing calls and technical calls on a weekly basis uh, for everybody who the, the media as well as uh, opposition members. So um, we debated the the bill yesterday or the uh, motion yesterday and uh, I do believe that we'll be providing more information as we have been. Okay one question which still remains to be answered I'm going to get to your opposition uh, colleagues but one question a simple one which still remains to be answered that that is what is the date for the first vaccines arriving in Canada we still don't have that do we have that yet? Well well we don't because the Health Canada regulators have not approved the vaccine yet and that is the first step and uh, as a politician, I will always rely on scientists and regulators and experts, uh, not political uh, motivations to have these things done. It's very important that we rely on experts, as we have been from the beginning of COVID-19, um, because we are blessed in Canada with, okay. with great academics and experts across uh, a variety of immunology and virology fields uh, that okay. are guiding all of our, our, our decisions. Okay, Arne, uh, Garnet uh, Genuis, is it realistic to ask for the level of specificity that you're asking for? You're even asking for vaccination timetables in this motion. Are you, is this overkill or, or, or is the government actually able to provide all of this information that you request in this motion? I think it's very important, especially during a time of pandemic, that the government be communicating 
clearly with Canadians, in, including the information that we put forward. Uh, in some ways, it's it's unfortunate that as an opposition, we have to use opposition day motions as a way to uh, compel the government to disclose information uh, which they uh, should be disclosing anyways. Uh, there's there's been a lot of discussion about the need to uh, build awareness and build confidence around uh, public health measures. The way to do that uh, is for the government to be transparent. And we have seen a lot of mixed messages when it comes to to, to vaccination timelines. Uh, back in August, Minister Baines was saying it would be sometime this fall. Uh, and then we've, we've just been all over the map ever since then in terms of, of when exactly uh, this is going to roll out. Uh, and and I, I, I appreciate the point, and, and nobody's going to disagree with the point that there needs to be a, a robust approval process by independent experts uh, first. Uh, I think what Canadians are asking is when they look at uh, approval processes in other jurisdictions, uh, and that's true around testing as well, you know, that we have... Uh, it, rapid and at-home tests that have been approved in other jurisdictions that haven't been approved here. Uh, we, we need those independent approval processes, but Canadians are, are right to ask questions if they're seeing things approved in other jurisdictions with similar standards, uh, and those things are not approved here. When timelines are being set in other jurisdictions about when people living in the U.S., the U.K. are going to be able to get access to vaccinations, uh, and when those same timelines are, aren't being set here. So uh, the, the, the processes have to be independent, but if Canadians are are, uh, are at the back of the line, if Canadians are behind people in other countries, uh, that's where I think that raises red flags okay. for people. Jenny Kwan, will, your, uh, will the NDP caucus vote for this motion? Uh, and if it passes, obviously in a, in a minority parliament, if all opposition parties vote for it, it'll pass. And then you'll have an official call on the government to provide all this information. Will you vote for it? And do you think it's realistic to ask all of these things? Well, the NDP supports the motion. I think it is very important for the Canadian government, for the Liberals, uh, to be forthcoming and be transparent to for Canadians. Canadians are so worried about what's going to happen. When will they get the vaccine? They're watching uh, the numbers go up day by day, right? The impact's been very, very significant. And the only information we got so far has been conflicting information, different dates, different timelines uh, that different uh, government officials and ministers had uh, provided. The other thing that Canadians are asking is this. Why aren't we prepared to manufacture our own vaccine? In fact, Canut Labs used to be a world-class, world-recognized, uh, uh, publicly-owned uh, entity that produced vaccines and uh, dr uh, prescription drugs for Canadians. And of course, it was the Maroonie government under the Conservatives that privatized it. Now, that was back in 1986. And so moving forward to today, uh, you know, we seem to not be able to move forward to bringing back a uh, Canadian manufacturer, and we're behind relative to other countries. Other countries are able to produce their own vaccine, Germany, India, China, Brazil, US, UK, uh, etc. But then Canada is left behind. And so we're behind the eight ball all the time. So the NDP is also calling uh, for the Liberals to actually bring back a crown corporation, a publicly owned uh, um entity, if you will, and manufacturer so that we can ensure that we deal with these kinds of crises uh, going forward. Okay, Adam Vancouver, and I want to ask you something else. We got news from Pfizer, the international uh, pharmaceutical company Pfizer, that it will only be able to de deliver about half of its previously announced amounts of vaccine before the end of the year. So that it that concerns this this year. Uh, but it does raise questions about the supply that the Canadian government is counting on getting. We're supposed to be receiving up to 4 million doses from Pfizer by the end of March. Do you think this announcement, do you know if this announcement might affect expectations here in Canada of how much we'll receive from them by between January and March? That's a very good question. And it's, uh, it's troubling news so to Pfizer this morning. But because we have such robust 
portfolio of vaccines. We have seven now that we can exercise options with. We don't anticipate that the news that we heard today will have an impact on the uh, on the number of vaccines that we will receive from Pfizer. But we are also exercising options with Moderna to receive an additional 20 million vaccines, bringing that number up to 40 million vaccines. So the reason that we have such a diverse portfolio is so that we can rely on multiple sources because none of them are a guarantee. And before I, I stop there, I just wanted to say that I'm really, really glad that both of my uh, colleagues uh, today are talking about the importance of good information. Because as many of the members of the Conservative Party have been asking for more information, other members have been peddling misinformation. And I brought this up yesterday in the House of Commons because I think it's really important. We all have platforms as elected officials. People rely on us for really, really good, reliable information that helps Canadians. But, and I think we have a duty to do just that. We are a, me a method of communications for our constituents. But lately, members of the Conservative Party have been sponsoring petitions questioning the effectiveness and the efficacy and the health of, of vaccines, calling it human experimentation. I've seen members from Alberta talking about uh, questioning the, the legitimacy of numbers and deaths. Uh, and then just last week, I heard a radio interview That's totally with a Conservative false. member from Niagara uh, yeah. Comparing COVID nineteen to the season. Did you, did you present a readout? And of this, this call, is just of this discussion already. Okay. This um, is, yeah, it's okay. Just, it's just it's really point. troubling. It's really troubling that members of the Conservative Party are not willing to call their colleagues okay. out, members of their own party, when they're misleading Canadians. And okay. that's what we're happening. That's what we're seeing right now. Okay. On that, I'll have to let Garnet Genos weigh in on that. What do you Please make do. of? I mean, we did have one uh, person tabling a petition which called the vaccination, the advanced speed vaccination, a human experiment, and all that. But what do you make of those accusations? Uh, so uh, I think it's important to underline that in May of this year, Ron McKinnon, uh, the Liberal Chair of the Health Committee, sponsored petition 2424, and that was an e-petition uh, that, that raised concerns about the negative impacts of cell towers on children. Uh, and at the time, the Liberal Chair of the Health Committee right now, said, let me, let me okay, hold on one at the time. Liberal, the, so your point the, is? The Liberal Chair of the Health Committee said at the time, uh, that he sponsored the petition even though he didn't agree with it because people in his riding had asked him to. Uh, now, without commenting on uh, Mr. McKinnon's petition or Mr. Sloan's petition, uh, I do think that if, if a line like that, if the statement that they were responding to their constituents even though they didn't necessarily agree with it, uh, if, if that line was good enough for the Liberal chair of the Health Committee, uh, and if Mr. Van Coovenen didn't call out Ron McKinnon at that time, uh, then it's interesting now that he's wanting to call yeah, out people being uh, on the other side of the aisle. So, okay, so, uh, so um, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's well a question, okay, on that, there's a question, the question about whether you know, the appropriateness Mr. of Sloan's signing okay. petitions uh, or sponsoring <laughs> petitions, uh, but there's clearly a double standard. So the point is it's about petitions. Again, this isn't just an individual member of parliament. This is the chair of the health That wasn't the question. Okay, I've been told that we're out of time, but I want to thank you both. The point about petitions is an interesting one. We are out of time, but I want to thank uh, all three of you for taking part. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. There are media reports that the U.S. Justice Department is negotiating with China for the release of telecom executive Meng Wanzhou, being held in Canada for extradition to the U.S. After Canada detained Meng, authorities in China jailed two Canadians, Michael Spaver and Michael Kovrig. They have been detained now for almost two years and charged with spying. The Chinese have linked any consideration of their fate to the release of Meng Wanzhou.
On Friday, Prime Minister Trudeau was asked about the reports of a possible deal. For almost two years, we've been working uh, extremely hard uh, to bring home these two Michaels. Uh, it is an absolute priority for the government. Um, I won't be commenting on any of the recent reports. I think we're going to continue to work as hard as we possibly can to bring these two Michaels home. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's been extremely difficult for them, for their families and their loved ones. Uh, we will continue to stand up for Canadians in difficulty anywhere around the world. Joining me now is Canada's Justice Minister, David Lametti. Minister Lametti, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Okay, we have to start, though, with the, the news that is being made today, and that is these reports out of the United States that the U.S. Justice Department is in negotiations for a type of deferred prosecution agreement that could see the release of Meng Wanzhou. Do you have any reaction for us on those reports? Uh, I'm aware of the reports, but I obviously can't comment on them. Okay. Have you been made aware of them through official channels? Once again, it's not something that I can comment on. Okay. But you were made aware of them around the same time that the reports were leaked to the Wall Street Journal. I can't, honestly can't, I can't comment uh, on any of the matter. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to um, Bill C-7, which I know also is a big concern for you. This is the medical assistance in dying legislation, made some crucial changes. It's, uh, you're facing a court-imposed deadline of December 18th. The bill is still before the House of Commons. It's also still before the Senate. How confident are you that your new uh, medical assistance in dying legislation will meet the deadline? Well, I'm still optimistic. Uh, the, the Senate has done a pre-study, uh, and I know that they, uh, you know, they have some concerns that they have raised. Uh, once we get it to the Senate, we will uh, we will undertake those discussions with them, and I will uh, I'll make myself available uh, to senators to make sure that their their uh, concerns are being heard. Uh, the main challenge right now is to get it out of the House of Commons, where, the, frankly, the Conservatives, uh, a rump group of the Conservative Party, uh, has has basically co-opted their leader into allowing them to filibuster, um, notwithstanding a fair bit of support even in the Conservative Party, and certainly across the House of Commons and across Canada for this piece of legislation. So we hope that they'll do their duty and, and, and uh, pass this legislation in third reading uh, so that we can send it on to the Senate. Once it's there, I'm, I'm optimistic. Look, it's a tight deadline. I understand that. Uh, but, it, but I'm still optimistic that, again, this bill has the vast support of Canadians. Uh, we did do a great deal of consultation, including with disability communities, who helped shape the legislation, quite frankly. Uh, and so we feel that we have uh, we have met uh, their concerns, um, and and we're we're pushing to move forward with this. So there is a forecast for the final vote in the House of Commons next week. Whether or not you have to use time allocation, that will come. But you mentioned the Senate. There are some very deep divisions showing up in the Senate. There are some profound concerns some of the senators are expressing. You know the Senate. You know they have. A uh, significantly wider margin in terms of length of debate. What are the chances that this will get pushed over until next year? This will not make the deadline in the Senate. Well, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. They have done a pre-study, uh, which is helpful, uh, so that so that we can get directly uh, to their deliberations in the Senate chamber. Um, again, I'm I'm willing to work with senators. I, I have heard their concerns uh, to some extent. Uh, I, on the main question, I, f I firmly and fully believe this bill is constitutional, that the, that the uh, carve-out uh, exemption for uh, mental illness uh, being the sole uh, criterion, um, it, it, it is temporary in the sense that we, we have always planned to study that uh, in the further legislative review that is, uh, that is required by the 2016 law. 
Um, but I do feel that it is constitutional. It's a very narrow carve out. And we will get to those concerns, those very legitimate concerns. It's just that there is a deep division in the medical community uh, about how to move forward. And uh, failing that, it, it is difficult to see a way to move forward in, you, in, a, in, okay. in a closer time. You have had two extensions from the Quebec Superior Court to get this deadline, the current deadline of December 18th. Um, the, those who have these deep concerns about the bill, or those who want more time in the Senate, for example, say that you could simply go back to the Quebec Superior Court. They're, they're saying that this deadline is, is largely self-imposed, largely arbitrary, and, and some of them also point out that the fact that the government actually prorogued Parliament for almost 50 days, uh, that you could have gotten to this earlier. What are the chances of going to the court and asking for an extension? Well, look, I'm not going to rule out any possibilities, uh, but that being said, there's no guarantee of getting an extension. Uh, the, the court already gave us a second extension, um, and it really is up to them. Uh, they found the original law unconstitutional or aspects of it unconstitutional, um, and that that decision will stand if we don't uh, if we don't get this law passed. So again, there are no guarantees on on any of this. Even even if I were to ask for another extension, there's no guarantee that the court would accord it. Okay, and that would mean what the entire law would be null and void, or just certain measures in it? Uh, certain measures in it uh, would be uh, have been found to be unconstitutional, so they would be inoperative in Quebec, mm -hmm. uh, but not in the rest of Canada. So that does two things: it creates a great deal of legal uncertainty in Quebec. So practitioners who want to be guided by the law in order to know, to know what they are doing is legal or illegal, that degree of uncertainty may have quite a chilling effect on practitioners in Quebec. So I, I would say to my Quebec, uh, my fellow Quebec MPs, and to Quebec senators, uh, there is a great deal of negative impact for Quebec, as well as uh, for the rest of Canada. Then obviously in the rest of Canada, the law continues to stand. But then we have, uh, we have an unequal situation as between Quebec and the rest of Canada. And that in and of itself is the basis for, for a constitutional challenge. So. It, it creates a very unhealthy situation both in Quebec and across the rest of Canada. And I would ask that MPs and, and senators take their responsibilities very seriously. Okay, I want to get to, uh, there's not much time left, but I want to get to another bill which you tabled this week, uh, a monumental bill, Bill C-15, to harmonize Canada's laws with the United Nations Universal Direct Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People. Um, there was widespread, this was welcomed by the Indigenous community in Canada, but some of the people, including the uh, National Chief of the Assembly First Nations, Perry Bilgard, take issue with the fact that you're giving yourself three years to have a full action plan for harmonizing measures and taking, taking action on systemic uh, discrimination in Canada's laws. Uh, could the time frame be shorter? Well, we'll certainly look at that. We've worked closely with, with uh, National Chief Bellegarde. We've worked closely with President Obed and, and National Spokesperson Chartrand, as well as other levels of Indigenous uh, government across Canada, it's complex. There, there are a number of uh, each. Each nation is a nation uh, with its own leadership, and so there, it is complex in terms of uh, uh, cooperation and and, and co-development of an action plan. So the three years is meant to is meant to account for that. Um, uh, it's it's a, a challenging task, but it's one, frankly, that that I or any one of my colleagues I think would gladly take on. Uh, that being said, we've worked with, with National Chief Belgard, uh, and we have a parliamentary process. Uh, if, if, if we think it, if we can be convinced that it can be done in less than, than three years, we'll obviously look at that. We're, this is not going to be a, a, 
a, a, a point on, on which we will, uh, we will depart. Okay, Minister Lametti, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, joining me now are two journalists with the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Mia Rabson is a national political reporter with the Canadian Press. And Tana McCharles is a parliamentary reporter for the Toronto Star. Both of you, thanks for joining us. Hi. Well, listen, uh, both of you have been reporting on this since the very first day of the pandemic, because I know you've been on this. And my, my question to you is, we are now at a point where vaccines have taken up so much of the attention, and politically as well. There's a lot we know. There's a lot of unanswered questions. My question to the two of you who've been following this is, for what is unanswered, is it reasonable that it's unanswered, or is there reason for the politicians to be pressing and upset? Mia. I'd say some of it is probably reasonable. I think it's it's understandable that we don't have exactly the dates on when everything's going to be delivered because there is a lot of uncertainty both from the companies and on the approval side. So my understanding is that the government or that, that Pfizer or Moderna, whichever company we're talking about, isn't going to say we're delivering them on this date until Health Canada says we have approved it and it's it, you're sort of good to go. These vaccines are so delicate, the Pfizer one in particular, and has to be stored at such low temperatures. One of the guidelines, for example, is it's in a special box. It can't be open more than twice a day for one minute at a time, or the vials inside might actually be considered to be damaged so and not usable. So they're not they're being so careful about that because they're, the preciseness of how all of this has to be run down is, is very, very tricky. Uh, that said, there is some more information that the government probably could be giving us. We know, for example, now that there are six million doses in the first quarter. We, the government didn't tell us that. The, the Ontario government ended up telling us that. The federal government didn't. So there is some information that they probably could be giving us and more answers or even saying a little bit more specific, even if it can't be a specific date. Mm -hmm. So some of it's reasonable, some of it's not. Tonda, I mean, for one of the examples, though, I mean, one of the, the, the sticking points politically, Tonda, this week has been people saying, OK, we know that you can't tell us exactly when the first vials of vaccine will arrive, but give us the play date. After that, there's got to be, a, you know, give us mm -hmm. the day one, day two, day three. Give us your, your game plan. Is that a fair criticism? Right. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole did that in the House of Commons, right? He said, well, you know, most military planners will say, OK, if you don't know the exact date, uh, take it from a theoretical date and then go out day one, day two, date, date plus one day, date plus two days. Uh, what does it look like? I think those details we don't have. And it makes everybody wonder, does the government even have them? In other words, does the government have that kind of specificity, if I could call it that, mm -hmm. specific date deliv of delivery in the contract itself? Or are we depending quite a bit on the goodwill of the company to deliver sort of grosso modo, you know, more or less the, the big package? And we're already hearing that they're going to be, it's all like Mia described, right? It's going to be a staggered delivery out over the next three yeah. months. So there are things we don't know that we could know that we should know. Is there a reason we don't know it? I mean, look, reporters and pol opposition politicians have been demanding answers. Uh, they're very cagey. I'm not sure how much of that is tied to their um, intent to not make it seem like a foregone conclusion. In other words, that the regulators will independently make a decision um, 
irrespective of political pressure, yeah. right? So, so I think that there's a bit of that at play. What about the idea, too, which people are trying to get their heads around, and that is that when the first shipments ar arrive, they will be nowhere near fulfilling the need. And we today got this recommendations from the National Committee on Immunization about the target groups, which didn't surprise anyone, the elderly uh, in care homes, in care settings, uh, and elder people, 70 years or older, with a preference 80, uh, healthcare workers, and adult indigenous people, we got those guidelines, but a lot of, there's a lot of even harder decisions still to be made at the provincial level when it becomes obvious that we don't have mm -hmm. enough even maybe for those groups. Well, D Teresa Tam, the chief public health officer, was asked today if this six million doses is going to be enough just to cover even that group of people. And she said that it should be, that those guidelines were kind of set up knowing we were going to get this many doses with some modeling about uptake. So it should cover that group. I mean, whether or not we had you know, more doses coming to us in, in the first six months or first three months, whatever the period is, when you're rolling out a vaccine program, you can never vaccinate everybody at once. Even 10 years ago during H1N1, they had to have priority groups for vaccination because there's only so much that can be produced and shipped and even used at a time. So this is, that sort of is normal. It's, the question is how, will the provinces actually use those guidelines? Some of them did back in 2009, some of them did not. Okay. So are the provinces going to use those guidelines? And now that they have them, when are we going to see from each province how they're going to use them. I mean, people want to know, when am I going to get, va get vaccinated? When is my mother, who's in a long-term care home, going to get vaccinated, that I might actually be able to go see her? Mm -hmm. So those are questions that people are, they're desperate. I mean, the anxiety around this is so huge. So every little tidbit of information is so important right now. Both of you are mm -hmm. at the briefings. Like Tonda, you were at the briefing yesterday by the, you know, the now weekly briefings on the vaccine, state of vaccines in Canada. Uh, and there's uh, Major General Danny Fortin giving details. Are they going a long way or not? to answering some of the vital questions? Is it helping? They are. No, uh, look, it's the first, well, first of all, it's only the, it was only the second technical briefing yeah. uh, since they've been working on it, apparently since April. So yeah. it would have been nice to have had something along these lines much earlier. And we might have actually stemmed some of the questions. But no, it's useful because Danny Fortin gave us quite a bit of information yesterday from the number of sites that are going to be the first receivers of a Pfizer vaccine and then how many sites they're going to ramp up to in order to accommodate the Moderna and whatever other vaccines eventually get approved. Um, there was quite a bit of detail in terms of the planning that they're doing and what they're trying to foresee. Um, look, these are details that the government, according to the government, since they started negotiating and starting started to sign contracts since August, could have rolled out a lot of this detail a lot earlier. Instead, I, I think the political pressure is built on them. They're seen now to be reacting to it. Mm -hmm. um, but more importantly, I think some of the public anxiety around it might have been, uh, I think, curbed a bit. Um, so, you know, that's on them. Okay, uh, a, a question. We only have about a minute and a half left. Uh, Mia, I have to ask you this because I know we, we, so many years of reporting for the Winnipeg Free Press. Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister made some comments yesterday, and I'm still trying to make heads or tails of them, where he says he's concerned by the fact that a certain proportion of vaccines to Manitoba will be, uh, will be cleaved off to give to Indigenous communities, and he's concerned that that could be taken away from the overall per capita allocation to Manitoba. Those comments are setting off sparks. Uh, what do we make of them? And are there going to be other comments from premiers questioning the, 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 the allocation of vaccines like that? 
Well, I think Premier Pallister will have to explain what he meant by that. I, I think, you know, there are some who are wondering if he's suggesting that people on, who are living in the Indigenous communities shouldn't be getting this vaccine earlier. I mean, they were among the priority groups. Uh, he seemed to maybe be worried that Manitoba would gonna get was going to get less overall. Yeah. Uh, than, but th- it doesn't necessarily make sense on that front, just because these are people who live in Manitoba and are still Manitobans. Uh, so he will have to explain specifically what he meant by that. I do think that, again, it comes down to the provinces want to know how much they're getting. They are also, they're the ones who actually have to get it into people's arms. This is the one thing people don't always remember. Ottawa's uh, approving the vaccine. Ottawa's buying the vaccine. The provinces are the ones who have to actually then distribute it to people and get it into arms. That is a very complex process to do. And if they don't know how many people, uh, how many doses they're going to get, they can't really plan for that. And so this is a little bit of that anxiety as well. Okay, last thought to you on that, on this topic, uh, Tonda. Well, look, again, I think that there's a need for transparency on the federal government side for them to tell us what their view of that is. How should how much should go out on a per capita basis? How much should go out on uh, on the basis of, say, how bad the outbreak is in a certain province or region of the country? You know, Newfoundland's got a pretty good uh, disease picture right now. They don't have a lot. I think they have one or two cases or something. Um, So does it make sense? to heave a whole bunch of vaccination down to a place where they really don't have a huge outbreak right now? Or does it make sense to ship it to where it's really needed most in in a province or a region or a community where they're smothering under COVID? All of these questions you can ask at next week's briefing on vaccines. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, both of you, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good weekend, guys. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Martin Stringer. On behalf of all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching and have a great weekend.